arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine to the corpse dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack on the shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin. And today we're jumping into chapter 46, a message out of the shadow. Uh, it's a continuation of Matt and Tom's adventure in Camelin, um, although we won't see Tom in this chapter, but we will see Matt. And at the end of chapter 45, Matt had an idea of how to get into the palace and to give Bloody Morgay's Bloody Queen of the Bloody Light of Andor... Bloody Andor, specifically. Um, basically give him, give her the letter and make his way out and be gone. And that was his plan. Or at least I should say, he, that is his plan, and that's what he's planning to do. But he hadn't explained it in chapter 45, so now in 46, we're going to learn. So, he leaves the Queen's Blessing and heads back towards the inner city on foot, not with a horse. And he's not certain what he's trying to do is actually going to be pulled off. Um, he had been told some information, which he's not going to tell us what it is quite yet. Um, but he's not sure it's actually true. So he avoids the front of the palace, obviously, with the Queen's guards there. Kind of jerks. Not really wanting to work with them and kind of trying to arrest him, you know, as a dark friend. You know, all the good stuff. So he pretty much goes all the way around to the back of the plaza, and then he sees this area that's just a steep slope, thick with low flowers, and goes from the street to a white wall of rough stone. And it's got several leafy trim tree limbs sticking out over the top of the wall, and he can see the tops of others in a garden of the royal palace. Sound familiar? He's like, well, a wall made to look like a cliff and a garden on the other side. Maybe Rand was telling the truth. So, he's already heard the story of Rand's adventures in the garden with the daughter heir and the prince of the sword. But he looks both ways around him on the street casually. And not He's not sure if anyone's going to be coming around anytime soon, but he's like, well, I'm going to have to hurry. And because the street kind of curves, he can't really see very far, so someone could just literally show up at any moment. And if they see some guy climbing a white wall all the way up to the top, he's like, that looks out of ordinary. So he's got to be kind of fast. Um, so he starts scrambling up on all fours. You know, it's very steep. But he's not really caring about his boots tearing up the banks of red and white blossoms, which I'm sure the gardener will have something to say about that. But he gets to the rough stone wall, and it has plenty of finger holds, ridges, knobs, lots of toe holds, even for a guy in boots. He's like, wow, this is awfully easy, kind of careless, if I might add. And he gets up, but he thinks about back in the day when him, I should say, when Rand, Parent, and himself went on a journey to the sand, or to go beyond the sand hills into the edge of the mountains of mist. And they had returned to Emmons Field. They got pretty much everyone upset at them. <laughs> everyone who could lay hands on them. And on Matt, worst of all, because they're like, oh, it's clearly Matt's idea. Doesn't tell us whose idea it actually was, but they all got in trouble. 
and everyone, you know, was like, what's going on? He's like, well, three days, they had climbed cliffs, sleep under the sky, eaten eggs filched from red crest nests, plump gray wing grouse, fetched with an arrow or a sling from a stone from a sling, rabbits caught with snares, all laughing, but they're not afraid of the mountain's bad luck and how they might find treasure. They'd brought home an odd rock from the expedition and with a skull of a good-sized fish somehow pressed into it and long white tail feather dropped by a snow eagle and a piece of white stone as big as his hand that looked almost as if it had been carved into a man's ear. He thought it looked like an ear, but Ran and Perrin didn't agree, but Tam Thor said it could be. So, while he's having this little flashback, his fingers slip out of the shallow groove and his balance shifts and he loses his toehold under his left foot. Catches himself with a gasp and barely catches on top of the, the wall and pulls himself the rest of the way up. And he's like, ah, letting your one, your mind wander like that, you fool. Try to kill yourself on the cliffs that way. He's like, that was a long time ago when we were climbing in the sand hills. And he's thinking about his mom probably threw all that stuff away, which... I mean, why would she? But why wouldn't she? I mean, if he, if he went that to that kind of a trouble <laughs> to get all that stuff, why would she throw it away? And he's only been gone for, you know, X amount of time period. It's, it's not been super. It's not like he's been gone for 300 years and he's coming back and all of a sudden all of his stuff's gone. But he, he notices the garden and we're not going to go into too much about the garden because obviously we've been here before with Rand and Elena and Gawain. But basically, there's just flowers everywhere, trees, blossoms, birds, and stuff like that. Um, and they had some flowers that were two feet and stuff like that and hung off of stalks that are as tall as an oak gear. So it's a, it's a pretty big, lush garden. But he hears some boots on the flagstone, and he crouches behind a bush against the wall as two guardsmen march past with their long white collars hanging over their breastplates. They don't even glance his way, and he grins to himself. He's like, oh, just the low luck? They'll never see me till I have the bloody thing in Morghese's hand. He slips through the garden like a shadow. Now, I would like to point out, because this is this is a term that's been, or similar termed, that's been heavily used and heavily focused for a long time and lots of forums of debate when it comes to writings, uh, most notoriously, The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien when referencing the Balrog, if he has wings or not. And it says he has shadows like wings. And people seem to think that for some reason the Balrog has wings because of this. Now I'd like to point this out. He slips through the garden like a shadow. He's not actually a shadow. It's similar to a shadow. You know, shadows don't make noises. So shadows sneak through. So he slips through the garden like a shadow. Now, obviously, this isn't meant to emphasize on the wheel of time access of writing or whatever. It has to do with those who believe that Balrogs have wings because it's shadows like wings. They have the appearance of wings. They're not actually wings. Balrogs do not have wings. I'm glad we cleared this up. Sorry, it's a side tangent, but I had to bring it up because it was the perfect opportunity to do so. So, um, but, you know, he heads by a bush or up against a tree trunk when he hears boots and 
another pair of soldiers strays by with the paths, and one's close enough to have taken two steps and goosed him. Um, but as they vanish among flowers and trees, he, you know, plucks a deep red star blaze and stucks the wavy petaled flower in his hair with a grin. This was as much fun as stealing apple cakes at Sunday and easier. Women always kept a sharp watch on their baking, but the fool soldiers never took their eyes off the flagstones. But not very long after, he finds himself against the white wall of the palace itself and begins sliding along it behind a row of flowering white roses on slatted frames, searching for a door. And there are plenty of wide-arched windows just over his head, but he thought it might be a little harder to explain being found climbing in through a window than walking down a hall. Which he's not wrong. That would be a little more strange of an occurrence. Two more soldiers show by, and he freezes, and they pass within three paces of him. But then he hears voices from the window over his head, and it's two men, but just loud enough to barely make out the words. On their way to tear, great master. And the man sounded frightened, and the other voice comes in with saying, Let them ruin his plans if they can. His voice is a little deeper and stronger, a man used to command. It will serve him right if there are three, trained, three untrained girls can foil him. He was always a fool, and still is a fool. Is there any word of the boy? He is the one who can destroy us all. No, great master. He has vanished. But great master, one of the girls is more gaze, isn't it? Matt half-turned, then caught himself. The soldiers were coming closer. They did not appear to have seen his start through the thickly woven stems. Move, you fools! Get by so I can see who this blood and bloody is. He had lost some of the conversation. Has been far too impatient since regaining his freedom, the deep voice was saying. He never realized his best plans take time to mature. He wants the world in a day, and Kalendor besides. The great lord take him. He may seize the girl and try to make some use of her. That might strain my own plans. As you say, great master, shall I order her brought out of tear? No. The fool will take it as a move against him, if he do. And who can say what he chooses to watch, aside from the sword? See that she dies quietly, Komar. Let her death attract no notice at all. His laughter was a rich rumble. Those ignorant slatterns in their tower will have a difficult time producing her after this disappearance. This may all be just as well. Let it be done quickly. Quickly, before he has time to take her himself. The two soldiers were almost abreast of him. Matt tried to will their feet to move faster. Great master, the other man said uncertainly. That may be difficult. We know she's on her way to Tyr, but the vessel she traveled on was found at Erengil, and all three of them had left it earlier. We do not know whether she has taken another ship or is riding south, and it may not be easy to find her when she reaches Tyr, great master. Perhaps if you... Are there none but fools in the world now? The deep voice said harshly. Do you think I could move in Tyr without him knowing? I do not mean to fight him. Not now. Not yet. Bring me the girl's head, Komar. Bring me all three heads, or you will pray for me to take yours. Yes, great master, it should be as you say. Yes, yes. The soldiers crunched past, never looking to either side. 
Matt only waited for their backs to pass before leaping up to catch a broad stone windowsill and pull himself high enough to see through the window. He barely noticed the fringed terabon carpet on the floor with a fat purse of silver. One of the broad carved doors was swinging shut. A tall man with wide shoulders and a deep chest straining the green silk of his silver-embroidered coat was staring at the door with dark blue eyes. His black beard was close-cut with a streak of white over his chin. All in all, he looked like a hard man, and one used to giving orders. Yes, great master, he said suddenly, and Matt almost lost his grip on the sill. He had thought this must be the man with the deep voice, but it was the cringing voice he heard. Not cringing now, but still the same. It shall be as you say, great master, the man said bitterly. I will cut the three wenches' heads off myself, as soon as I can find them. He strode through the door, and Matt let himself back down. Sorry I didn't give you any warning about reading that, but... <laughs> I kind of just decided to do it on a whim, so I was like, hey, perfect time to do this, let's do this. But... I'd like to point out something. One, we have two men talking about what seems to be Elaine and the two women with her, a.k.a. Egwene and Nynaeve. We know that one of the men, his name is Komar. Don't know which one. Matt goes up to see who actually talked and sees a person thinking they're not Komar, thinking it's the person who left as Komar, finding out that it's actually Komar. So he doesn't know who the, the person who's doing the commanding actually is so matt is surprised and shocked that this man who looks like he's a hard man who's used to giving commands is actually komar so almost losing his <laughs> grip he he learns a little bit about this plot which I might argue, being Taviran, put himself right there because the pattern wanted him to be there to see this because it's kind of important. So he's like, what are the light are they doing going to tear? And he's thinking about Elaine, Egwene, and Nynaeve. Now, they left before him, but I think he passed them and they, they would have passed where he got off the shore with Tom. Um, at Erangel, and basically the entirety of this fiasco, I guess, of people going through these different... He wasn't expecting them to leave. He was just expecting them, like, hey, deliver me this letter. It's like, all right. And then he goes to deliver this letter and then finds out they're heading to Tyr. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know how, except that they got there by boat, seemingly. So there's little bits of detail we can recover from this, but it's not like super crazy or anything. Um, but he's like, well, I have the daughter heir letter frowning at it. And he's like, well, if I have this in my hand, Morgays would believe him. He could describe one of the guys and, you know, sculpting is no longer here because the big fellow could be off the tier before he even finds Morgays and whatever she did then. There was no guarantee it would stop him. So he's like, well, I got to get going. I got to get this to Morgays, and I got to go, you know, find out what I can about this Comor fellow. So he takes a deep breath and pops out between the rose frames and 
gets a couple pricks and snags from thorns, but he heads down the flagstone right after the soldiers. And he holds Elaine's letter out in front of him with the golden lily seal plainly visible, but goes over his mind over and over again what he's trying he's going to say to them when they find him. And, but when he had been sneaking around the garden, the guardsmen kept popping up like mushrooms after rain. But now he's walking pretty much the entire length of the garden without even seeing a single one. And he passes several doors. It would not be very good to enter the palace without permission. The guards might do nasty things first and ask questions later. But he's thinking about going through a door when it opens up and a helmetless young officer with one golden knot on his shoulder strides out. Now the man immediately pulls his, puts his hand to his sword hilt and, you know, has about a foot of steel bared before Matt can push the letter towards him, saying, Elaine, the daughter, sends this letter to her mother, Queen Morgay's captain. And he holds the letters to the lilies very obvious. The officer's dark eyes flickered to either side of searching for other people without ever leaving Matt. He's like, how did you come into the garden? But he doesn't draw his sword further, but he doesn't sheathe it. His elbers on the main gates. And he's a fool, but he would never let anyone wander loose into the palace. And Matt's like, oh, the fat man with rat eyes like a rat? <laughs> then he curses his tongue, but the officer gives a sharp nod and almost smiles. Obviously, there's no love lost between this young officer and Elber. He's like, yeah, he, uh, he gave, he grew angry with me when I learned that I'd come from Tarvalon and wouldn't even give me a chance to show the letter or mention the daughter heir's name. And he said he would arrest me if I didn't go, so I climbed the wall. I promised I would deliver it to Queen Morgaze herself, you see, Captain. And I promised it, and I always keep my promises. You see the seal? And the officer's like, that bloody guardian wall again. It should be built three times so high. I don't know if that would change anything as long as you leave footholds there. But okay. He's like, Guardsman Lieutenant, not Captain. I am Guardsman Lieutenant Talonvor. I recognize the daughter heir's seal. His sword finally goes all the way back in, but he stretched out a hand, not a sword hand. He's like, give me the letter and I'll take it to the queen after I show you out. Some would not be so gentle at finding you walking about loose. <gasps> the pattern at work, perhaps. But Matt's like, hey, I promise to put it in her hands myself. He's like, I never thought they'd not, like, actually not let me give it to her. I did promise to the daughter heir. And Matt doesn't realize much, except Talonvor's hand was moving before the officer's sword was resting against his neck. He's like, I will take you to the queen, countryman. Very softly, I might add. But I know that I can take your head before you blink if you so much as think of harming her. And Matt puts on his best grin, and the slightly curved blade felt sharp on the side of his neck. And he's like, I am a loyal enderman and a faithful subject to the queen, the light of them in her. Well, if I had been here during the winter, I'd have followed Lord Gabriel for sure. Talonvor gives him a bit of a tight mouth stare. That doesn't seem to impress him, nor make him happy. And he's like, take that flower out of your hair. You think you came here courting? As he sheathes his blade, Matt pulls out the Starblaze Blossom and follows him. He's like, bloody fool, putting flowers in my hair. I have to stop playing the fool now. It wasn't really following, since Talavar, Talonvor keeps an eye on him while he le leads the way, and the result was an odd sort of procession with the, doc with, the <laughs> with the officer on one side of him and ahead, but half-turned in case Matt tried anything. For his part, Matt attempted to look as innocent as a babe splashing in his bathwater. I mean, most babies I know don't enjoy splashing in bathwater because they get really upset. About being wet. Um, 
But then you get like this description of the livery on the walls, the tapestry, and all this different stuff, silver and all that. It's very descriptive. But then he thinks, you know, maybe Morgay's plays dice. And he's like, that's a whole-headed thought. Queens don't toss dice. But when I give her this letter and tell her something, somebody in the palace means to kill her, I'll wager she gives me a fat purse. Because he needs that help. But he indulges himself in a small fancy of being made a lord. Surely the man who received a plot to murder the daughter heir can expect some, some type of reward. Now, I'm going to say this now. This is the only time you're going to tuck this away for later. Tuck this very much away for later because it's it comes in handy later on of what was just said not what's coming to say so Talonvor leads him down the corridors heads across courtyards and he's beginning to wonder if he can find his way out again without help but then suddenly one of the courts had more servants in it colin walks around the court with a round pool in the middle with a white and yellow fish swimming Beneath lily pads, floating water lilies. I'm assuming there's supposed to be some form of koi fish, but koi are normally white and orange. But I guess they do have some versions of it that are white and yellow. But he notes the men in the room, colorful coats embroidered in gold and silver. Women have wide dresses that are working even more elaborately. Um, and they... They're attending a woman with red-gold hair who sits on a raised rim of the pool, trailing her fingers in the water, staring sadly at the fish that rose to her fingertips in hopes of food. A great serpent ring encircled the third finger of her left hand. A tall, dark man stood at her shoulder, the red silk of his coat almost hidden by the gold leaves and scrolls worked on it. But the woman's the one who holds Matt's eye. Noticing the wreath of finely made golden roses in her hair and the stole hanging over her dress of white slashed with red, the red length of the stole embroidered with the lines of Andor, that wasn't what made him realize who this was. It was more a gaze by the grace of the light, Queen of Andor, defender of the realm, protector of the people, high seat of House Dracond. And she had Elaine's face and beauty, but it was Elaine when Elaine would have ripened. Every other woman in the courtyard faded into the background by her very presence. She's on another level of beauty. A massive level of beauty difference. And not because Morgay's probably surrounds herself with ugly, hideous women. <clears throat> it's just she's... <coughs> Excuse me. She takes very, very good care of herself. And... Obviously, ages very gracefully. There could be a lot of reasons for that. None of them are given. Just that she is a beautiful woman, but still a mature version, obviously, of Elaine. And Elaine being like 17, 18-ish, I believe it's 17. Um, she's going to be probably in her 40s, I'd imagine, if not maybe a little bit more than that, maybe mid-40s. Definitely no younger than her mid-30s. Like, she'd be up there. Higher 30s at the earliest. That's if she came of age, got married, and had a kid immediately. And Galad's her oldest, and I think Galad's... I want to say... 18 or 19? I want to say? 
somewhere in that range. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I don't I don't know if his exact age is that, but obviously it's higher. And then you had uh, Gawain and then Elaine in that order. Um, so obviously good looking woman. And he's like, I'd dance a jig with her and steal a kiss at moonlight too, no matter how old she is. But then he shakes him and is like, whoa, remember who that is. <laughs> so Talonvor goes to a knee, fist pressed to the stone on, of the courtyard, and going, my queen, I bring a messenger who bears a, a letter from the Lady Elaine. And Matt's looking at the guy's posture, but then he just, you know, gives a deep bow. And he's like, from the daughter heir, uh, my queen. Obviously not used to saying that. And he holds up the letter as he bows, so the golden yellow wax of the seal was visible. He's like, once she reads it and Elaine knows Elaine's all right, I'm going to tell her. And Morghese turns her deep blue eyes on him. He's like, light, as soon as she's in a good mood. <laughs> and her cold, distant voice is like, you bring a letter from my scapegrace child. That must mean she's alive, at least. Where is she? And her voice has this edge that speaks of heat ready to rise. Her temperature, obviously redheads, <laughs> could go up pretty quickly for her temper. And he's like, well, in Tarvalon, my queen, he puts out the words very, very barely, I guess you should say. And he's like, wouldn't I like to see a staring match between her and the Omerlin? And then he's like, on second thought, I wouldn't. <laughs> At least she was when I left. Morghese waves a hand impatiently, like, come on, bring it. And then Talonvor rises up, takes the letter from Matt, and hands it to her. And then for a moment, she frowns at the lily seal, then just snaps her wrist and pulls it up. And she remembers to herself as she's reading, shaking her head at every other line. Oh, she can't say any more, can she? We'll see whether she holds that to that. But then her face brightens. Ah, oh, Gabriel, she's been raised to the accepted. Less than a year in the tower and raised already. But then the smile disappears as quickly as it had shown up, and her mouth tightens. It's like, when I put my hands on the wretched child, she'll wish she were still a novice. I mean, to be fair, she could use it. <laughs> Just saying. And Matt's like, wow, nothing's going to put her in a good mood. But he's like, well... I'm just going to say it and hope she's not going to chop my head off. My queen, and by chance I overheard. But before he gets to say anything, it's like, be silent, boy. And the dark man in golden-crusted coat said calmly. He was a handsome man, almost as good-looking as Galad, and nearly as youthful-seeming, despite the white streaking his temples. But built on a bigger scale, with more than Rand's height and very nearly Perrin's shoulders. We will hear what you have to say in a moment. And he reaches over to Morgay's shoulder and plucks the letter out of her hand. She kind of glares at him, seeing the temper rising. But the dark man just lays a strong hand on her shoulder, never taking his eyes off what he's reading. And Morgay's anger just melts. Well, apparently she's left the tower again on the surface of the Amberlin's seat. The woman oversteps herself again, Morgay's. Now... When I first read this, I wasn't sure if he was talking about Elaine or the Omerlin, but I'm pretty sure it's the Omerlin now. <laughs> um, this is the woman, and I don't think he would refer to uh, Elaine as the woman in, a, in front of everyone in a court. The Omerlin seat, sure, we're on bad terms with them. Everyone doesn't like the Omerlin right now. 
Why not call her the woman? But Matt doesn't have any problems holding his tongue. He's like, luck. It's stuck to the roof of his mouth. He's like, I don't know if this is good or bad luck. But the dark man was the owner of the deep voice. The great master who wanted Elaine's head. And she called him Gabriel. And then now he's thinking back to when he said, I'd, I'd follow Lord Gabriel to Talonvor. And Talonvor's look did not look approving. But what can you do? He's like, her advisor wants to murder Elaine. Light. Norgay's staring at him like an adoring dog with her master's hand on the shoulder. And Gabriel turns nearly black eyes on Matt. And the, the man has a forceful gaze and a look of knowing. He's like, what can you tell us of this boy? And he's like, uh, nothing. Nothing at all, <laughs> my lord. And he clears his throat. And the man's stare is worse than the Omerlin's. And he's like, I just went to Tarvalon to see my sister. She's a novice. Elsa Grinwell. I'm Tom Gridwell, my lord. The lady Elaine learned I was meaning to see Camelot on my way back home. I'm from Comfrey, my lord. A little village of north of Barillon. I'd never seen any place bigger than Barillon before I went to Tarvalon. And she, the lady Elaine, I mean, gave me that letter to bring. He thought Morghese had glanced at him when he said he'd came from north of Barillon. But he knew there was a village called Comfrey there. He remembered hearing it mentioned. Gabriel nodded, but was like, okay, do you know where Elaine was going, boy, or on what business? Speak the truth. You have nothing to fear. Lie, you'll be put to the question. Like, oh, jeez, these people again. <laughs> it's, it's, do what I say or I'll put you to the question. Like, well, if, but if I tell you the truth and you decide it's not the truth, then I get put to the question. If I tell you a lie, you decide it is the truth, I'm fine. But if I tell you a lie and you decide it's not, then you're going to put me to the question anyway. So I got a two out of three chance I get put to the question. That's not a good odds. Now, I do want to point out something I almost passed by, is that when he mentions he's from Comfrey, Morghese glanced at him when he said he came from north of Barillon. Yeah, there's a village named Comfrey. But here's the thing that I found weird in the discussions amongst fandom about uh, how different the Two Rivers is from the other areas around it, like Barillon and, in this case, Comfrey and anything else in Andor, because... Andor is very different than Tarvalon in every way, essentially, except for the map. Um, so, if you recall, when Rand had fallen in the garden, was brought to Morghese, and Elida was there, she went over how different Rand was from the typical Two Rivers person. I did this in front of Morghese. Morghese is aware of these differences. Morghese obviously had to learn all these things about the control of Andor, what is on the map, what is actually in her control, but even the people, the cultures and everything of everyone around as well. It's not just a floozy that she just, she just wouldn't notice. Like her, her whole essence is essentially knowledge of her entire empire or not empire i should say her uh, kingdom i guess is probably a better term um and she would know these things so if she's like oh i'm from comfrey keep in mind if he has the appearance of someone from the two rivers to what elida had mentioned because elida had mentioned that rand was not as dark of skin as the two rivers then morgay should know this 
it's like, oh, I'm from Comfrey. I'm like, but Comfrey, the people from Comfrey don't have this kind of appearance if they didn't have that kind of appearance. And if they had that kind of appearance, then Elida probably wouldn't have made such a big deal about it. So it's a little bit of a weird comparison, I guess. It's just something I noticed because I like analyzing details. And this is very much an analyzed detail. Because if a lot is like, oh, look at you, you're this pale dude underneath your clothes and your skin's darker because obviously you work out in the sun for a long period of time. Um, kind of like Senbui, who's a thatcher, works on the roofs all day, every day, all during the summer, probably year round, honestly. So he's going to get darker skin from being out in the sun all the time. Typically, when you see a farmer, they have these things called farmer's tan. That's basically what Rand has. Rand has a massive farmer's tan. Red hair obviously throws him out as kind of an outlander as well. But he could at least claim that Kari Althor was the one who gave him the red hair. So, a lot of it would be saying, hey, this is one thing. Morgays would have been like, you don't have the look of somebody from Comfrey. You have the look of somebody from the Two Rivers. If it was as different as thought by those. Because, again, remember, Elida, Elaine, Morgays, like those of royalty and those of knowledge of the area that they're going to be in have the knowledge of those areas and those places and saying, this is not what they look like and this is what they do look like. And the comparison should have, in this case, set off a few alarm bells in Morghese's head. He's never been to Comfrey. He doesn't know what the people in Comfrey look like. She should know because it's in her domain. She knows the Two Rivers culture, people, and all that stuff, and that's not in her domain. So... Well, I mean, it's it's in her map domain, but it's not in her, like, enforced domain. And But she knows what is and isn't there. So she should have had alarm bells going off if it was that strange for the people of Comfrey to be different from the people of the Two Rivers. And if the people from Comfrey are the typical Andorans, and the typical Andorans features we've gotten throughout this entire time of the series so far and the rest of the series, I should tell you what the entire populace of Andor essentially looks like with Two Rivers being the oddball out. I'm not saying that they're like night and day differences, but I'm saying that there should be subtle differences to be like, you know, this village is known for its big ears and you have small ears. That's a little weird, don't you think? This village is known for having big noses. You have a very small nose. Or you have a big nose and they're known for small noses. Like, there's just this village is known for all the, the males having six fingers and all the women having six toes. You don't have either of those. So forgive me if I don't believe you're from there. <laughs> you know, in that sense. Uh, it's it's kind of just like a, it's a weird comparison. I know it's completely off tangent. I just wanted to throw it out there. But Matt's like, oh, well, don't put me the question. Uh, you know, hey, hey, I only saw the daughter heir the once. She gave me the letter and a gold mark and told me to bring it to the queen. I know no more of what is in it than I've heard here. And Gabriel seems to consider it, but no sign on the dark face whether he believed a word or not. Morgan's is like, Gabriel, no. Too many have been put to the question. I can see the need as you have shown it to me, but not for this. Not only a boy who brought a letter whose contents he does not know. 
Dark Man's like, well, as my queen commands, so shall it be. A bit respectful, but he touched her cheek in a way that made a color come to her face and her lips part as if she expected a kiss. Morgay's, you know, has this unsteady breath. And he's like, tell me, Tom Grinwell, did my daughter look well when you last saw her? And he's like, yes, my queen. She smiled, laughed, and showed a saucy tongue. I mean, and then Morgay's laughed softly, looking at his face. He's like, oh, don't be afraid, young man. Elaine does have a saucy tongue. Far too often for her own good. I'm happy she is well. And her blue eyes studied him deeply. I don't know too much about redheads, because I'm not one. But I don't know if blue eyes is very common. Now, I get that she's not just a redhead. She's a red gold head, I guess. Whatever that would be. It's like a blonde and a redhead mixed together. Um, but it's like a rose gold almost. Like maybe. Maybe a little bit. Not not so much pink, but more red. But with like blonde streaks through it or something. I don't really understand the color system of that. But blue doesn't seem like something redhead people would necessarily have. As often as like. Maybe green, even though green I know is a very rare eye color, but blue seems to be more attributed to like blondes, like Norse. Reds are more like Irish. So it's a very weird mixture of colors, but blue eyes, red, gold hair gives us an idea of what Elaine looks like. Same, pretty much. Because as far as all the descriptions have applied, they're basically spitting images of each other minus maturity. That's basically it. And then, boy, is that maturity level quite vast to depart in difference. <laughs> but it's like, oh, a young man who's left his small village often finds it difficult to return to it. I think you'll travel a lot before you see comfort again. Maybe you'll even return to Tarvalon. If you do and you see my daughter, tell her what, I, what is said in anger is often repented. I will not remove her from the White Tower before time. Then she goes on to say, tell her that I often think of my own time there and miss the quiet talks with Shiriam in her study. Tell her that I said that, Tom Grinwell. And Matt's like, ah, a little uncomfortable here. It's like, yes, my queen, but uh, I don't mean to go to Tarvalon again. Once in any man's life is enough. My dad needs me to go to help work on the farm. My sisters will be stuck with the milking with me gone. And Gabriel laughs, a deep rumble of amusement. She's like, ha, 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 ha. Sko so anxious to go milk the cows, are you, boy? Perhaps you should see something of the world before it changes. Foreshadowing. Here, and he throws a purse, tossing it, obviously. Matt feels the coins through the wash leather when he catches it. He's like, if Elaine can give you a gold mark for carrying her letter, I'll give you ten for bringing it safely. See the world before you go back to your cows. He's like, yes, my lord. He lifts the purse and manages a weak grin. Thank you, my lord. <laughs> this is not how he acts normally, which is how we can tell that he's putting on a face. But the dark man... Hardy waved him away and turned to Morgays with the fists on his hip. He's like, I think the time has come, Morgays, to lance that festering sore on the border of Andor. By your marriage to Tarangil Damadred, you have a claim to the Sun Throne. The Queen's Guard can make that claim as strong as any. Perhaps I can even aid them in some small way. Hear me. But Talonvor touches Matt on the arm. They slowly back out of the room. Bowing, Matt didn't think anyone noticed. Gabriel's still speaking, but every lord and lady seemed to hang on his words. Morgaze was frowning as she listened, but she nods as much as anybody else. And that's the end of the chapter. But it's not the end of Matt's part in the story, because we got next week. And that's going to be fun, isn't it? So... It's going to be 
a bit of a roller coaster. Because <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually really excited about. I got, I'm always excited about Matt's story. Matt's stories are always the best, in my opinion. His character is just close and dear to my heart because we have very similar personalities, minus the drinking, gambling, and all that type of stuff. Um, we're both very sarcastic. We're fun-loving, mischievous type of fellows. But <laughs> so either way, um, next episode will be chapter forty-seven. So hopefully you guys will all join me for that. Um, let me know if you guys have any other things you want to know about this particular chapter. Did I miss something that you think I should not have? Um, do you have any of your own little insights? Whatever you could think of. Um, a comment you might have on something, feel free to drop a comment on either the Facebook page at Tales of Red Arm, Twitter at Tales of Red Arm, or on my email directly, which is just Tales of Red Arm at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Um, and if you guys would like to join the Discord or something to get to know me and a little bit more of the details I'm putting out, like if you have any questions or want to talk to me just in general chat wise, I typically get on, I'm on pretty much at least every day. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you guys would like to, you can either email me directly. I believe it's on Twitter and Facebook pages as well. So you should be able to access either of those. But if you don't have access to either Twitter or Facebook or can't find it, just email me at tales of red arm. I'll send you a link and you'll be in and we can chat. It's pretty empty right now. But hopefully that'll change over some time. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Discord is, Discord is a voice chat system where you can use text. You can talk to people over voice, over IP, a.k.a. you can just chat online. Um, and it has different servers, so you could be a part of multiple Wheel of Time groups if you can find them. Um, or any other type of groups if you're into sports or games or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it's a cool little community that I got kind of set up as best as I could. I'm not very good at the thing myself, but I would like to have some other time with you guys and have a blast talking about everyone's almost favorite, second favorite probably, series in the world, since Jared Tolkien seriously has that one in the bag. But I still love Robert Jordan's work, and I read this way more often than I should. <laughs> I need to start reading some of the things, and I know it, but I'm not going to be able to until I finish this series, and this series is going to take me a few years. So... Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Um, I look forward to hearing from you guys or seeing you in the Discord. Uh, I think we'll go ahead and call it there. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day And on the girls will spend our pay And when we're done, then we'll away To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And struggle the girls be they short or tall And follow your map wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And struggle the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the mags, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah. 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 Yeah.